This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located in 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Becomes the art of death on Friday the 13th. You throw this dancers to the breaking point. Is it suicide or murder? My every word is your command. I pledge my body and soul to the dance. Meet the maestro who no one can match. His music is to die for. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes, of course. The Devil's Dance on Friday the 13th. The series. Next week, a command performance of terror. And you are listening to the Dead TV Podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre, and part of the Radio Horror Network, celebrating its 11th anniversary this month. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. And tonight's episode is The Maestro. The Maestro, originally aired May 22nd, 1989. Ryan and Mickey investigate the apparent suicides of a handful of ballet dancers, and soon learn that they may be linked to a rare music box. And this episode is directed by Timothy Bond, who we've talked about before, and written by Karen Jennigan, Jennigan, who doesn't have that much of an IMDb uh, credit to her name. But uh, the, the I almost call him the villain so much, but I guess he kind of is. Colm, He's the maestro. The maestro. Yeah. Colm Fiore, Fiore. Oh, you'd recognize him if you see him. Yeah, he was in Thor. Uh, he's been in a lot. Yes, but his biggest role is coming up very soon. He's going to play Sir Reginald Hargreaves in the Umbrella Academy. Are you familiar with the Umbrella Academy comic book series? No. The Umbrella Academy is about a disdained group of superheroes who unite after their adopted father, who trained them to save the world, dies. And the Umbrella Academy comic book was, was a dark horse comic book created by Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it's going to be a 10-episode series on Netflix. Cool. Yeah. It first debuted as a free comic book day comic book, and that comic book, I don't want to say the word sold out because it's a free comic book that it gave away, but it was impossible to find because uh, My Chemical Romance had, you know, they, they were pretty popular when this comic book came out, and they, they, they still are to some extent, but at the time they had just debuted, so they were hot, hot. But uh, yeah, this guy has been in a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. He was also in oh, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man House Two, House of Cards, Twenty Four, Law and Order, uh, The Listener. Uh, I mean, he's got five things that have been completed and not yet released. Correct. So um, and he just is goes, a hardworking actor. Exactly, exactly. And this episode also stars uh, Cynthia Preston, who was in Carrie, and she's currently on uh, Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. No, oh, interesting. He will also appear in another episode of Friday the 13th later, 
which is in season three, and that Carmel. Now, I also want to point out, and we didn't play any Carnal music. Pit. We didn't play any music from it, um, just because it it uh, it wasn't gonna play like the way I wanted it to. So maybe I'll plug this in. This reminds me a lot of Suspiria and Ooh. the Black Swan. Yeah, the whole concept of pushing yourself past what you can actually do to provide this great art, and it's an art that is so fleeting that it is impossible to capture, you know, dance. Now, um, as we are recording this, uh, Suspiria, the TV series, is going to be debuting soon. I heard about that. When is that coming out? Uh, Late this month or in November. Okay. It's going to be a movie first, and then it's going to be the series. So it's like, I think the pilot's going to be in theaters. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, so it's not so much a remake. It is a, you know, adapt, being adapted into a TV series based on the, you know, famous, uh, you know... Popular thr- movie? Yeah, Thriller, uh, with the uh, uh, amazing soundtrack in that movie by the band... Um, I, 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 oops, I almost had it. I'm going to edit this part so I don't sound like an idiot when I... Because I guarantee some superior family like, You fucking idiot! Yeah. <laughs> not that guy, but... Someone be... Oh, fucking Christ. Suspiria, here we go. Um, based on Dario Argentio's original work, and the TV series stars Chloe Grace Mortez, Tilda Swinson, um, Dakota Johnson. Nice. Yeah, nice. and the original came out in 1977. Um, again, by directed and written by Dario uh, Dario Argentio. Um, very famous German thriller ballet kind of film. I've actually had one of the stars from Suspiria on my show. Oh, really? Yeah. On the Radio Horror? Yeah, on Radio Horror. Uh, Barbara uh, Magnolfi. She played Olga in the movie. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, the episode begins uh, with the crazy dance instructor um, yelling at his students. Um, and uh, they commit suicide because they dance them to death. Yeah, they, they just kind of leap right out the window. They danced so much they died loving it. <laughs> so our cursed object this episode is a symphonia. Uh, and symphonias are kind of a square music box that uses uh, steel metal discs uh, to play the music. So then it just kind of plucks uh, with like a music box in miniature version, but it's very large. Sometimes it can have a harmonics as well inside the um, symphonica. Uh-huh. I have some, I have some deets if you want some details on, uh, on these types of items. If you wanted one for your house, they're quite lovely, but you're going to run anywhere from nine hundred to four thousand dollars for a good Christ. one. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not cheap. Uh, if you do find a cheap one, then it's probably going to be very, very well used and maybe not even working well. Mm. Anyway, uh, these were made from 1880 through eh, 1925-ish, uh, but the main producer of them uh, is the Symphonian Music Works. Okay. Oh. And the... Hold on. Right. Got sirens. All right. But the main producer of them were the Symphonian Music Works in Germany. So they patented the uh, star flywheel. And the star flywheel is vital to the actual function of these machines. So they patented it. They created it. 
Uh, over time, in 1992, the company split into uh, Symphonian and Polyphon. Polyphon uh, then took up a little bit more of the music box industry. Then one of their employees left to start Regina Music Box Company. And then that's where we get a, a more of the American-style music boxes from Regina. Um, for a bit there, I thought maybe it was going to be like... <coughs> excuse me, when I saw the preview for the episode before I watched it, and I I, I was thinking maybe um, about, like, oh, it was going to be like cursed shoes, cursed dancing shoes. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of old you know, grim fairy tales about the cursed shoes that make someone dance to their death. Um... They all kind of go to the uh, prom. Oh, sorry, the prom. They all go to the uh, opera together. Yeah, it, it's it's not so much the opera so much as it's a modern dance uh, performance. Right. Sorry. Um, yeah. I, I'm not too much of a fan of modern dance, uh, but you know, it, it is an art form that a lot of people appreciate. I worked for a dance studio for a little while um, as a uh, in their marketing department and mm-hmm. they were telling the instructors were telling me that dance is crazy people are crazy dancers sometimes and some people they get obsessed with their instructors like they need to have the right their instructor otherwise they want they, they they just they can't do it they can't do like group dance or something it has to be their specific instructor you know they're just that nuts Wow. Yeah. yeah. The whole idea of interpretive dance to me seems a little bit more childlike when people take it so seriously. Yeah. It's like, oh, aren't you cute? You know. But I do know that it's a very physically exhaustive and draining enterprise. And I give them all props for doing the dance, but I am just not one that will appreciate the dance. So I try to give them their space. I appreciate different types of dances, just not modern dance. They discover that uh, they discover the Zephonia, and Ryan goes to investigate um, in a weird kind of way. He's investigating during the mas- massage of somebody. Yeah, what was up with that? I'm like, dude, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, we are introduced to a new character. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't live the episode. You know, like most of the friends and family of the Curious Goods crew, uh, Grace. Grace is close enough to Jack that uh, she likes to call him Uncle Jack. Yeah. She's only 18. I, 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 I remember, oh yeah, I, I, saw, I, I saw that and I was like, what? So, uh... She's adorable. Yeah, unfortunately she doesn't have longevity. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. She gave her soul to the dance and the dance took it. Yeah. Um... This is kind of one of those episodes that is just sad overall, because you're sad that Jack loses this, I guess, a goddaughter or whatever. (coughs) Uh, You're sad that the Curious Goods crew are going through this, that these dancers are dying from heart attacks at 25 and suicides. It's it's just heart-wrenching. Yeah, and they try to convince... All to complete a performance on a stage. They try to convince Grace of what's going on. She doesn't believe it. No. Even though she saw with her own eyes something was going on, she wouldn't believe it. True. Even after they find the dead body in the closet. Yeah. I, I would just call the police. Like, How no. many crime scenes has the Curious Goods crew interrupted 
and uh, disturbed. You mean accidentally left some sort of evidence of them being there. Right, or they disturbed a crime scene, which, by the way, is an offense unto itself that you could be um, could could suffer you some jail time. Yes. Impeding yeah. an investigation, as it's also called. Uh, yeah, but you know, it, it, it they just kind of run into it in their line of business. You know, can't be helped. They can't seem to escape it whatsoever. So we have the the two dancers that jump out through the window, and he, and the maestro, uh, Anton Pescola, he films them because he's trying to get the new moves for uh, his dance, the dance of Shiva. They so yeah, and what's funny by the way they by the way they watch the dance instructors get ready for their suicide until and then the tape cuts before they commit it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, th- this is definitely their last dance, and it's obviously cut at that point in time, just before they leap to their deaths. That should be enough evidence to give to the cops and be like, mm. yeah, I'm sure. And and if Grace were a smarter girl, then perhaps she would have like, recognized that those were not exactly the right dances to emulate. <laughs> No, definitely not. Um, but again, like you said, the dance community, the dance world is so uptight, so ingrained in this type of master-servant, teacher-student, locked into a, a, a almost a symbiotic relationship with their teachers. It's just like ice skating coaches for the Olympics. And what I've heard stories of gymnastics coaches for the Olympics, like, when you get to that high level of skill, it, it starts to get crazy, like really crazy. Anton says, you must, I wrote it down, you must swear an oath to the dance. What? Yeah, it, it's, uh, and, and that phrase that he makes them put their hand on the music box and repeat is, I dedicate my body and soul to the dance. And that's all well and good, you know. But uh, I think he was meaning it literally, and they were meaning it figuratively. <laughs> um, one of the actresses in this move in this episode uh, plays Manning, um, uh, Pat as Manning as Patrick Clee Creelman, um, was a dancer in uh, a Madonna movie. Um, uh, Madonna's Inno- yeah, Innocence Lost. Oh, I did not know that. He was also in The Magic of Aladdin, and he was in something called Sing. So he's done dancing. Obviously, he tried dancing in uh, Hollywood. He probably came from dancing as well. A lot of these people who are professional dance instructors who are not the same as the actors themselves sometimes, uh, obviously, you know, like the back of the head shots and stuff, they uh, most likely came from, like, you know, incredible dance backgrounds, and this was just like a uh, a good uh, little uh, uh, Hollywood paycheck, TV paycheck. Well, Elise notes, Elise Wax, in her book, Curious Goods, Behind the Scenes of Friday the 13th, the series, she notes that uh, when she spoke to actress Cindy Preston, or Grace of the episode, uh, that she did not do any of her own dancing. Quotes, there was a terrific dance double, she admits. They highlighted her hair to match mine. The dance double was so convincing, her friends insisted that she was doing her own dancing. They would freeze frame it, and they they were sure it was me. They would say, we looked really, really close. It was you. I told them. Think about what you're saying. You're saying me, what happened, and I was there. It was funny. End quote. So, yeah. Lots of doubles. <laughs> it, 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 it's definitely needed in cases like this because uh, actors are not always um, multi-talented like that. 
No, no. You hone your craft, and you know you're lucky to hone one craft. Right. There was a. Uh, there's been a dancer that's been on my show. Uh, crap. No, I can't remember her name. Okay, I'll cut this part out because actually, I I was gonna set it up for a whole thing and uh, a movie she danced in. So, um, how many people died in this episode? Besides, uh, we, when we get to the end with uh, with, uh the Jack mourning Grace's death. Yeah. Uh, along with Anton's and Grace's death at the end, we have a total of six bodies in this episode. Yikes. Um, Some of them were pretty gnarly too, with like a shards of glass sticking out of one of them, and you know, dancing to death where she's just spitting up blood. It's pretty gnarly death. Yeah, the glass in the throat and everything. God, it's really bloody. Yeah. Very much bl- as bloody as like an episode coming up involving some witches. Oh yes, yes. Um, I never owned a uh, Symphonia. I have not owned a Symphonica either. Symphonia. Um, I did own a music box at one time, but I think that has since left, you know, back in California. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, we'll be, uh, right back with a quick, (coughs) excuse me, hold on. We'll be right back after this quick break, um, for the next episode of Friday the 13th, the series, The Shaman's Apprentice. Hey everyone, Dr. Chris from the Dead TV Podcast and Radio Horror Network talking to you a little bit about a documentary I'm involved with called In Search of Darkness, the Definitive 80s Horror Doc, uh, bringing the horror community together to celebrate the most iconic era in cinema history. This doc has 20 days to go at the time we're recording this, but you can still pledge a donation if you go to kickstarter.com and search uh, In Search of Darkness. And there are some fantastic goals to get you some great rewards for this documentary. Uh, This documentary will be over three hours long and covering as much of the 80s horror genre as we can squeeze into it. Some of the people that we currently have available to us for interviews include Mick Garris, Stuart Gordon, Lisa Wilcox, Lloyd Kaufman, Tom Holland, Joe Dante, Brian Yuzna, Dee Wallace, Jeffrey Combs, Sean Cunningham, those are just to name a few. So again, go to kickstarter.com for In Search of Darkness and pledge a donation to one of the best horror documentaries that has come out in recent years. Beware the secret of the sorcerer chief. I am sure that someone is using it to do evil. The cursed rattle, unleashing black magic power. Turning an Indian healer into a dealer of death. For every patient that he cures, another one dies. Raising the dead to terrorize the living on an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, Evil from Beyond the Grave. And we do have Evil from Beyond the Grave as as we return on the Dead TV podcast with The Shaman's Apprentice. The Shaman's Apprentice originally aired May 29th, 1989. A Native American doctor discovers a unique way to cure terminally ill patients, but the price of the treatment is murder. Ooh. Ah. <laughs> this episode is written by, uh, sorry, directed by William Fruit and direct, um, directed by William Fruit and written by Michael McCalian. 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 Michael McCalian uh, has also worked on Charlie's Angels, The Quest, and Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, and, of course, War of the Worlds. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep saying that. Yeah, William um, uh, was working up until about 2011, still alive today, born back in 1933, but you got to wonder if he's probably kind of retired by now. But what's funny is that Goosebumps 2 opened up uh, in theaters, and he worked on 27 episodes of the Goosebumps TV series. Oh, I just saw that this weekend with my son. Oh, what would you think of it? 
It was fun. It was fun. Uh, Jack Black's presence in it was completely unnecessary. Really? Because he has a bigger yeah. presence in the first movie. He didn't do anything in it. Oh, dang. Uh, yeah. Maybe he was filming at the same time he was filming the house with the clock in its walls. Quite possible, quite possible, but really the only purpose for him in there was to set it up for a Goosebumps 3 featuring Slappy at some point in the future. Again with Slappy? It's like... Yeah, I know. I okay, know. seriously, I would rather them take like a story from Goosebumps and make it into a big movie than like what they've do- been doing, I've not enjoyed. It's like, oh, he wrote the books and Slappy keeps unleashing the monsters and it's like, okay. Yeah, did but this. my son likes it. You know, he's... 10 turning 11 this month so yeah oh my son's 11 turning 12 and i don't know i i I, i'm not really sure if i want to sit through another one of these movies this might be a movie that uh i say you go see this with your mom (laughs) yeah i don't have to sit through it i I understand i understand but you know it it was haunted halloween and i had to i had to do it yeah so it was it was a fun romp just turn off your brain a little bit glaring um thing in this episode we have this character called white cloud Played by Paul Sanchez. Paul Sanchez yes. is a native to California, born in L.A. Yes, he's not Native American blood. No, 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 no. Which something today would be pretty much uh, not fly so well. Um, he's been in uh, Platoon. He was on episodes of Agents of Shield. Bit parked actor. Looks like he's still working today. Just completed something most recently. We also have, um, let's see, Spotted Owl. All these, all these Native American names. Yes, um, and he. Native American, Gordon Tatusis. Yes. In fact, if I scroll down his IMDb to the 90s, I bet I've seen him in something. Oh, he was a voice of Pocahontas. <laughs> okay. Not exactly oh. a roaring endorsement for... Uh, but he was on... Uh, there we go. Okay, so it wasn't the 1990s. He was on two episodes of Smallville. Now, okay... So, in the early days of Smallville, when they decided to start really upping the Kryptonian factor of who Clark is, in season one, they didn't do that as much as they did in seasons two onward, but um, when they really wanted to get into the uh, the uh, mythology of Krypton, it mm-hmm. seems like they just didn't want to pay attention to anything written in the comics uh, at first, and they were really doing this whole, like, uh, Kamachi cha- uh, cave uh, 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 paint drawings about these two brothers who would like fight each other, um, you know, and like obviously they're talking about like Lex and Clark and the Kamachi Che, the Kamat, the okay, there's these Native American caves in Smallville, and Smallville is supposed to be like in Kansas, and mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, what? You know, like the part of like Kansas that they're talking about, like you know, like wherever Smallville is supposed to be. It, it didn't lend itself to, like, the history of, like, you know, this type of tribe and something. And then, of course, you find out that the cave actually is a gateway to the Fortress of Solitude once they figure out, like, what the uh, drawings on the walls finally translate to. It basically opens up a portal to the north the north or south pole, wherever the Fortress of Solitude is, to a great power. Huh. Yeah. The, every time you talk about the show, it seems to get weirder. Yeah, or it gets worse and worse the way I talk about it, so... Uh, yeah. But this guy was also in Legends of the Fall on the Edge, so I, I kind of went on a tangent there. But what, what are we getting yeah, to the episode he's, synopsis? He's a very, very uh, prolific Native American actor. Or he was. Does a lot of Native American-themed yeah. projects. <laughs> or he was, rather, sorry, because he did pass away. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was in Moccasin Flats, Hank Williams' First Nation, 
uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Right. And Heather Hess, also a Native American actress, uh, in uh, like Neon Rider, Where the Spirit Lives, um, you know, kind of shoehorned into shows or whatever. It'd be like, oh, we got a token Native American girl we can do stuff with. Yeah, yeah. And in this episode, there is a lot of Native American racism, like a lot. And I know that is part of the driving force of the plot. Um, but just the things that they say are just so repellent. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the one of the comments I wrote down was, um, going to nail your red ass to the wall. Yikes. It's like, <sighs> Yeah, no. and this is at a time, by the way, 1989. Or they said butt, but you know. We'll say that again? Uh, they said butt, not ass. Oh, they they said butt, but, okay. Yeah. Um, what's, Same thing. Right, 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 right. At the time that this episode was airing, we didn't have, like, the restrictions or the uh, PC attitude about other cultures as much as we did. In fact, um, I didn't realize it until doing research on uh, this football team. The Washington Redskins were very popular in the 80s because they were kicking butt and taking names. And their name, Mm -hmm. you know, really offends people. But they were two-time Super Bowl champions in the 1980s. And they, they won the Super Bowl again in 1992. Yeah. So they were they were huge in the eighties. You know what I mean? Winning two Super Bowls uh, within you know five or six years of each other. Now I know, I know. And and when we take a look at these episodes from our modern point of view, and we can just see the the contrast and how how stark uh, certain racisms are. I mean, even today, and it's sad to say that Native Americans are still getting the short end of the stick at every single goddamn turn, and it pisses me off. Um, in Northern Dakota, they basically said that voting, you need a residential address. And on the reservations and native uh, properties, they only have P.O. boxes. So that dis- disenfranchises them from being able to vote. Yikes. And that's, that's amazingly bad. Amazingly bad that someone that is native to this land cannot vote for the laws of the land simply because our government won't give them the ability to do so. Now, this also, the plot of this episode revolves around uh, Roby's friend, sorry, Mickey's friend, Roby's the actress, Mickey's friend who is dying of cancer. And yes. the shaman's apprentice is using his grandfather's um, tool to... Uh, or, yeah, it's a turtle rattle. Yeah, or his father. It's his father or his grandfather? Grandfather. The grandfather's turtle rattle to kill people he doesn't like at the hospital and cure the uh, the, the sick. Now... Long story short, Roby's friend unfortunately does not get her uh, cancer cured. You know, and the episode—the episode, by the way, does end with her like going to the clinic and then you know being closed, and that's how we end the episode. We're not going yeah, to jump too far I ahead, felt but it's so bad for her. Like, why couldn't she get a little bit of that evil juice too? Yeah, well, this this is what I'm getting to. It reminds me of an episode of the season one from Supernatural. In that episode, Dean is electrocuted uh, when they're fighting a monster or a ghost or demon or something. And Sam is distraught because his he's his brother. This, by the way, this is one of the first times they've killed off. This is the first time the Winchester brothers faced like death in 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 a, in a way. Whereas like through the next thirteen seasons, it would be like a rotating thing about which Winchester dies. But I digress. So Sam finds out that his brother's only got possibly a few weeks to a month left to live because the electrocution was so bad, his heart just you know can't keep up, and he finds out about a. Uh, a priest that a blind minister that can heal people heal people and the minister has no idea that his wife has put a spell on a reaper 
and the Reaper is going around killing random people to trans, you know, so people can live. The preacher, uh, Sam, uh, sorry, Dean is healed after telling a woman that he doesn't believe in any of this, and he is select. He is like the next one selected to be brought up on stage and healed. And they, of course, play I Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult. And uh, <laughs> they eventually find out that it's a Reaper doing this. By the way, this is when Reapers were really cool. Eventually, the Reapers just become really hot women. And you're just like, oh, come on. The Reaper in the first episode, uh, the first season was fantastic. He was creepy looking. Anyway, <coughs> the Reaper in the episode, sorry, the, the woman who, um, the, the woman who tells Sam to believe in God and stuff. And by the way, this is before they got into God and Angels. Okay, so this is not quite that deep into all that mythology yet about Supernatural. It's played by, um... Uh, everything wants to move really slow. Fucking Christ. Oh, <laughs> uh, not funny. Um, the episode's called Faith. It creates more... Okay, and the uh, woman, uh, Layla, who convinces uh, Dean to let the preacher save his life, is played by Julie Benz. And her mother is, like, distraught that she wasn't picked next because they have come to, like, every single one of these, you know, church gatherings under the tent. And her daughter isn't, you know, isn't uh, cured. And at the end of the episode, Dean and Sam stop the preacher's mom, uh, sorry, the preacher's wife, uh, stop the reaper, and when Layla is called up on stage, she is not cured. Hmm. And Layla thinks that, you know, it's, it's God's way of telling her it's probably her time. You know, and and uh, the mom just uh, you know has such disdain for Dean because she knows that he did something or whatever to stop this power, this this godlike power from saving people, from making people walk yeah. again, from yeah. giving people. If you could do it that one last time, just for my daughter, yeah. Right, but innocent people are dying, not bad people. It's not like the Reaper is going after criminals, rapists, and murderers. He's going after random Joes. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate Dean gets saved. And he didn't believe in it. You know, he didn't believe in the power of God. He didn't believe in this preacher. But he got saved, and this girl, this innocent girl didn't. Yeah, just like Blair in this episode didn't. And she'll probably live only a couple months and die of lung cancer. It's also weird, by the way, again, uh, at the end of the episode, it seems like she's kind of alone, and and Roby and, uh, and, you know, the Curious Goods gang are, are not with her. Yeah, I mean, she took it upon herself to leave the other clinic, and, you know, I think she, Blair is under this impression that uh, Mickey really doesn't care about her because she doesn't want her to get the best treatment, uh, which isn't true, but Mickey knows that there is an evil cursed object in the works here and, and can't let her be influenced by the evil, but, you know, that type of... Uh, Bitterness? I, I don't know even if you could call it bitterness. It's just like, why aren't you helping me get this done? And uh, that is definitely something that Blair brings up to her a number of times. Also, the the doctors in this in this episode are horrible. Oh no! And the nurse, the doctors, Doctor Lamar, the nurse that finally you know kicks it towards the middle of the episode. Yeah, they're horrible. They're just... absolutely horrible to Doctor White Cloud. Not just him, but also to Grace. Or no, sorry, not Grace. The uh. The woman who gets cured by White Cloud. Oh, yeah, because they don't believe that she's cured. Yeah, and she's like, I'm not staying here another minute. And and he's just like, well, you must put my foot down and tell you how wrong you are that you're cured. And it's like, um, you are not in a mental institution. And even if you are, if you checked yourself in, you can check yourself out. You can check yourself out, yeah. Yeah, unless yeah. you are checked in by a... Um, unless you are deemed incompetent, 
You mm-hmm. get to go wherever the hell you please. It's just it's the worst bedside manner. Just a little overacted. I it just yeah. Yeah, that that doctor really sold the idea that he was a repugnant asshole. Yes, is that Eric Jeffries? Uh, let's see. It was uh, Doctor. No, that was Doctor Lamar. That was uh, played by James B. Douglas. Oh, okay. Doctor Eric Jeffries. Um, that actor has a long, who exhaustingly long. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. That actor played by Paul Miller plays Doctor Eric Jeffries has a long IMDb going back to his very first appearance in television, which was this episode, all the way up until The Good Witch. Um, from 2015 and 2018, uh, which was, which I guess just ended, maybe. Oh. But he's played a lot of doctors, that's for sure. <laughs> he has that, you know, professional face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's just kind of done a lot of that stuff. You know, kind of like how some people play cops all the time. Right. He plays doctor. Uh, he was Dr. Harold Deep on uh, Goosebumps. Speaking of Goosebumps. <laughs> Uh, it's a long, long, long career. So the way that this object works, uh, Spotted Owl has it in his family's uh, ceremonial shamanistic crypt. And it has been there since it was acquired originally, perhaps from uh, Uncle Lewis. Uh, I I don't remember if the chain of command led it directly to Spotted Owl or you know he bought it at the, the Curious Goods or if it was passed to him. But there was some sort of record of it, and uh, it was harmless until it got into the hands of Dr. White Cloud. Mm. Or oh, no, it got and into the hands of, uh, I mean, it got into the hands of Lewis and the devil. Well, that's true. No, <laughs> the devil's but, influence on it. But here's the question, though. An object from of Native American lore should mm-hmm. not have any association with the devil, Correct. Correct, the because they do is, not use the same deities. Correct. The devils of Christianity. Yes. So would that negate the devil's curse? Shouldn't that, let's say, theoretically, negate the devil's curse on it because the object is not associated with anything that, you know, that is any belief for God or the devil? Well, I could see arguments on both sides, but here's the thing, is that in Native American culture... The deities have echelons. They have a hierarchy. There's not a whole bunch that are just super, super powerful. Instead, there is a whole uh, council of gods that some have a lot of power, some have a little power, some their power is basically walking backwards and doing things backwards. Uh, so the amount of power, uh, a Native American uh, spiritual leader told me once is that when uh, she first heard the stories of uh, Christianity and the devil and whatnot. She thought that the white man must be so strong in order to battle these strong gods that she was just overwhelmed by the idea that there were gods that powerful. So to have a Christian god take over something that's a Native American product, I think it would have to overcome all of the background supporting um, spiritualities for it. So, like this turtle shell uh, rattle uh, is actually very important to a lot of native tribes, uh, cultures, because it's it's one of those objects that combines both the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the mineral kingdom. If you put rocks in it and 
you know, the way it's designed. And the turtles itself is a very powerful symbol because it symbolizes Mother Earth and that we all kind of live on the back of a giant turtle shell. Right. Uh, by, by, by the oh. way, part of this is, um, uh, did you did you ever read it? I actually read it, uh, but I thought it was trash. You thought it was trash? Absolutely. You're fired. <laughs> so in no, it... no, man, no. It it is like over three hundred pages of cocaine fueled nonsense. You mean over it's... a thousand pages? It is I, like over... whatever. Yeah, okay, it, okay. It, what? It is, all right, all right. It is so big. Got it. I, I, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. But you know who the enemy of Pennywise is, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a cosmic turtle. It's the cosmic turtle, which is not used as, you know, in any relevance in the most recent movie, nor the Tim Curry uh, miniseries. But uh, there's a turtle in the background, and there's a turtle painting on the wall in one of the uh, kids' bedrooms. I saw it in the, in the Lego turtle as well, yep. you know, in the, in the modern, yeah. Turtle is all over. Turtle is basically a symbol of the Mother Earth, preserva- uh, protection <coughs> and perseverance, it is the universe. It is a everything and and anything all into one. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of spirituality wrapped up within the turtle and the turtle shell, and the rattle itself can represent represent independence. Um, it can try to send people into trances for even medical needs. Um, medicine, when given to someone that's ailing from a, a shaman, might actually be served within a turtle shell itself. There's a lot here. Now this ep- this episode has a uh, you know has an ally. Obviously, the sister you know teams up with the Curious Goods crew, and she gets the object in question. It does not go back to the vault, nor is it destroyed. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to the Native American burial spots. Correct, and Jack says that it is good with them as it is with anybody. Yeah, yeah, true. Now, did you ever see the movie, I think it was called The Darkness? It came out, like, last year starring Kevin Bacon. No. The Darkness, yep, okay. So, all right, let me start over. The Darkness, a 2016 horror movie, uh, which came out in theaters very quickly and left very quickly, uh, stars Kevin Bacon and Rada Mitchell. Um, It also stars the young actor who plays uh, Bruce Wayne on Gotham. Uh, a family goes on vacation, and he finds some weird stones, and annoyingly awakens an ancient supernatural entity in the Grand Canyon on a Grand Canyon vacation. And they have to fight for survival at their home, and it's believed that the uh, the what they bring back with them are Native American ghosts that are uh, kind of pissed, and they kind of take it out on this family. Okay. Yeah. Is it a good hmm. movie? No. Is it worth watching just to see a clever idea executed badly? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Is it? Do you like Kevin Bacon? Then watch the movie. That's the other thing you could also say. Because uh-huh. he's the main character in it. So Paul Reiser is also in the movie, and so is Ming-Na Wen. The particular rattle that they're using in this episode... Um, I found one online, an Iroquois rattle, uh, and it went by the name, um, you know, forgive my pronunciation for native speakers here, Kenyaote Kanaawa'a, and that's the Iroquois. <laughs> Kenyaote uh, Kanaawa'a. Gotcha. Do you, yeah. <laughs> do you own this object? I don't. I do not own a turtle rattle, no. It was too sacred of an object for me to actually own uh, for my spiritual beliefs. A lot of special effects in this episode, too. 
Yeah, because the the uh, rattle itself kind of lifts from the person's hands and spins around the air and has the colored lights and throws people. Yeah, it's it's uh, amazing. It does a lot of unique things that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of unique. Okay, let me rephrase this. There's a lot of unique special effects in a show that is not special effects heavy due to the budget. And any of the special effects are usually like people being thrown around or stuff on wires. The what's shown in this episode and in in in, and in another episode coming up, which we'll talk about with a special guest of the show, uh, they use like kind of CGI or maybe rotoscoping. I don't know what they use. There's not a lot of information in in uh, Elise's book, and there's not information online. But it's some interesting early CGI computer stuff that they use, kind of like in Star Wars with the laser blast, pew pew pew. You know what I mean? They didn't mm-hmm. have, they didn't like, they couldn't CGI stuff like they could today in in Venom or the Avengers, you know, or or the current Star Wars movies, or uh, you know, in Harry Potter when they summon spells and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the nurse's death was particularly gruesome because she kind of just vomited up her lung. Right. Yeah. That was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that was. That was pretty freaking disgusting. Yeah, and this is especially after the nurse has been a complete bitch, and then the doctor said to her that nurses aren't supposed to think. It's like, you know. Wow. It's just a terrible clinic. Terrible clinic. Hashtag me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God. You would never get away with that today if you were a doctor. No. 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 Nurses, nurses get a lot more respect today than they ever did before. Yeah, nurses really take the brunt of a lot of the patient care. Right, they have to because the doctor um, has so many patients and there's more nurses available than there are doctors. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, that's pretty much all the time we have here tonight for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast, these two episodes that we cover. Don't forget you can check us out on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page. Oh, how many people died in this episode? We have five people that died in this episode. Okay. And and uh, a little fun fact, because I don't think we're going to have any more Native American-themed episodes uh, for season three. I don't think, anyway. Yeah, you know, I do actually have a Native American name. Oh, okay. It's uh, It's what? It's Apache. Oh. Not even five. It's Apache. Angusna Samtanqua. We have one of the largest named lakes in Webster, Massachusetts. Oh, really? What is it? Uh, Look it up because I can't say the name. <laughs> I Honestly, I don't even want to try. It's just so long. Okay. Look it up. Webster Lake, Ma- Webster, Massachusetts. It's just, it's long. We used to be able to say it in school. I, uh-huh. Yeah, no. I haven't lived in Webster in years, so I haven't had to remember it. But again, that, thank you. Again, check us out on Facebook, Dead TV Podcast. If you'd like to make a donation on Patreon, go to Radio of Horror. And catch us on Twitter at ChrisDSAV and at Elegantly Kinky.